Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Chris. You know, I was just talking with producer Shar, and we were reminiscing about the humble beginnings of text pros and rock and roll. Apparently, Shar loves to tell the story of how we got started. It went something like this. We knew that we wanted to interview our mutual friend, Matt Pinfield, especially since he coincidentally just had released his autobiography, All These Things I've Done, My Insane, Improbable Rock Life. And we were going to do the interview here in Los Angeles. But in the time that it took Charlene to drive from her native San Francisco down to Los Angeles, she noticed something a little strange. All the freeways in Los Angeles were empty and no restaurants were open. That's right. We decided to launch our podcast on the eve of the lockdown, I kid you not. So Charlene had this great idea to start doing some flashback Fridays. And we're gonna begin those with our number one podcast. That is our interview with Matt Pinfield. I remember Chet Reznor walking out one day um, from backstage at this show and he puts his arms around me and he kisses me on both cheeks and goes, we're still here against all odds. <laughs> That's Matt Penfield talking about his autobiography, all these things that I've done, my insane, improbable rock life. I sat down with the Brillo Voice music host to talk about his life in music, unlikely friendships with rock legends, near-death experiences, and that time he went to prison. This is track one of text, prose, and rock and roll. If you watched MTV in the mid-90s, you know Matt Pinfield as the host of the seminal alternative music series, 120 Minutes. He was relatable, he was credible, and above all else, he was real. Matt knew everything about music because to hear him tell it, he's a music fan first and foremost. That hasn't changed. Matt is as genuine today as he was when I met him 25 years ago. Hi, my name is Chris Kosach. I created this podcast, Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll, to highlight music in the printed form, a music club dedicated to music biographies, autobiographies, and stories from the road. So when it came time to choose our very first guest, Matt was the obvious choice. And the fact that my producer, Shar was behind Matt's morning show at Legendary KFOG Radio, and she's named in the book we're about to discuss, well, that's just kismet. The night this podcast was recorded, it had been a long time since I'd seen Matt. We had much to cover and very little time to do it in. So Shar and I decided to toss our interview format all together and keep it real, hiccups and all. What we're left with is an honest and frank conversation about Matt's life and music. It's riveting and funny, sometimes sad, decidedly sloppy as real conversations are, but always entertaining. Please talk about MTV and because you really were a voice of a generation, Gen X. And tell us a little bit about that time for you. You know, I was in a period where I, I cared about music at that time as much as I ever did when I was a kid, which is something I still care about. That's why I love bands like Glorious Sons, Des Rocks, Dreamers, Tame Impala, um, Grandson, uh, Nothing But Thieves. Like I listen to shit. There's a lot of new stuff out there. That's really good. And, and I'm very grateful that a lot of these kids know who I am thanks to YouTube because they go back and watch interviews that I've done. Or it'll be a band from England like Dinosaur Pileup or a kid from Leeds. I'll walk back in the dressing room, into the wrong dressing room, um, and he goes, holy shit, Matt Pitfield, man, your fucking podcast, that interview you did with, with fucking Chino from the Deftones was the greatest fucking thing I've ever heard. It, you know, 
it's wild how things, you know, still really matter. I want to talk very much about your style as a host because artists open up to you. Like you're opening up to me here yeah. because I'm talking to you like a friend and you talk to them like a friend, but you go deep, man. Yeah. You don't really do prep, do you? It's all in your brain to begin with. Yeah. Much. I mean, no, I mean, I will say that I will, um, you know, look up what, you know, people are doing recently, but mm -hmm. I, yeah, it is all in my brain. I mean, you remember the funniest thing was. And, and you I, care. You I, I, well, I care. care. I love, I mean, you know, I, I just, for me, I love what I do. I can do a short interview. I can do a five or six question interview. I can, obviously, I mean, I've done morning shows. You always say, go deep, know what you're talking about. If you don't know what well, you're talking about, just don't open your mouth. Well, and I, I just, but I also understand that there are different tiers of entertainment and why, you know, you... I learned something very interesting in, in, in New York City when I was doing the morning show there that I've taken with me. But I love that I've been afforded the freedom to do very, very deep interviews and to like just fucking make it a hang, you know? Like mm -hmm. So people feel mm -hmm. like they're there with you in the room. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm asking the questions that fans want to know, but also are interesting mm -hmm. to somebody who doesn't even know who they are. So I learned something very valuable in radio that I would um, share with anyone um, when I was in New York City. And it was, I, imagine there's like a clock monitor. Here's a half a clock. Now you're, and so there, there's a meter there, right? And when you go all the way to the left, it's people that don't give a fuck about the person you're interviewing. And then when you go all the way to the right, it's the Uber fans. The thing to learn is how do you meet it right in the middle? And the way you meet it right in the middle is find a common link um, that, you know, that is interesting to people. So that's, right. what I, that's my interviewing style is to actually, you know, it really depends on the artist, man. I mean, there's so many different levels of mm -hmm. where people are. Mm -hmm. And whatever your outlet is, whatever, you know, you're dealing with. I mean, are you dealing with a radio show? Are you dealing with a podcast? Are you dealing with something you have to do for a very short period of time? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. But, um, you know, I just walk into it pretty fearless. You started in radio way back in the day. Yeah. Driving you through snowstorms. You know the deal. Breaking down on the highway with a gas can because... There was nothing I wanted to do more than be on the radio. I wanted to be a DJ since I was a child, and I loved fucking radio. But I also, you know, had this built-in thing that I thought that a lot of commercial radio wasn't giving enough artists enough exposure that I loved. And I was one of those guys who was like, fuck, man, like when the new wave and punk thing happened, and even before that, you know, like... Things that I loved that were even metal and hard rock, you know? Um, so I always believed that I, I got to get out there. I got to have a voice, you know? And and I was grateful enough um, to get that chance, you know? But I never, I didn't know if it was going to happen. You know, it's really interesting that I ended up on the radio in New York City. The city that I listened to radio from the time I was a little kid with a transistor under my fucking pillow. And, you know... I did a Sunday night show for 13 years on K-Rock there. For anyone who's not in radio, that is yeah. huge. 
Yeah, and then you know, I'm, I'm right now. I have flashback, which is syndicated through Wessel One. Nine years, you know. I and I've had my ups and downs and everything else. But I will tell you that I even uh, when I was doing mornings in New York, we had so much fun, and we we were fucking killing it. We were having a great time, um, and it, you know, was an incredible experience for me. You know, I uh, don't like the winters, so I'm glad I live in California now. <laughs> but <laughs> boy, do I, but I love the people, and I love, uh, you know, I love the New York. I love the, the people in Jersey and New York, you know, yeah. obviously, because I'm so fucking cut from that cloth. But when you started, <laughs> you started like queuing up records like I did too yeah. back in the day with vinyl. We oh, started yeah. There. Then we went to like Dat. Remember Dat? Yeah. And then we had those carts with the CDs in them. Yeah. And then now it's all touchscreen everything. Yeah. So you went through the whole digital revolution, as did I. But yeah. I want to hear you talk about it. No one wants to hear me talk about it. But, um, but the whole Napster digital revolution... I want to see that through through your binoculars. Well, you know, what did you think of that? I think that you know, if I was a kid when Napster came out and I could have all the free music I wanted, fuck yeah! Because you know, you don't have a lot of money. If you like me, you know, you come from a family of teachers. You know, I mean, I used to cut lawns and fucking deliver papers and do whatever the fuck I had to do to buy records when I was a kid. So I would have absolutely loved Napster. And, you know, it's one of those really weird things. You know, everybody who, you know, like resists change is going to lose, you know, like unfortunately, but at the same time, it's just progress. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm not, I don't have any, I love the fact that I can go on Spotify or Apple Music and I can fucking, all right, tonight I want to hear that song, but I fucking by David Bowie, you know what I mean? And I'm like in a mood mm-hmm. and I turn it on. And I'm like, it's right at my fingertips. That was a dream when I was a kid. Not even close. So if you look at cable, you know, TV originally, mm-hmm. they said, fuck, you know, cable, we're not going to change or whatever. And now the building that I used to have an office in in Farm Club is the Comcast NBC Universal <laughs> building. Okay. You know, so progress and invention for me is something that I embrace. I mean, I... Granted, I still have all my records, and I think it's more of a kind of a fun hobby for me that I have all that vinyl. I do love that I grew up and I had that record in my hand, and I because back then, man, you know, I've told Steven Tyler and David Bowie, tons of people that you know the only way you knew about them was reading a magazine, and maybe you'd have two pictures of them, but they were like gods, and they were like so removed from your life and your world. Um. Uh, some people think that we have too much information out there right now, but you know me, I, I don't resist change because I truly believe that you know that's just very very natural thing to happen in life, you know, and and so I embrace it, and I love my playlists on Spotify, man, and uh, you know, and I love podcasts, and I've done two of them, you know what I mean? But I I just feel that everything has been about change, and I'm so grateful that I'm alive through it all. And I see the way streaming means my daughter, Maya, can listen to Arctic Monkeys and the Killers and like, um, you know, and like, you know, Drake in the next second. Like, I just love what I do love about it is I think that I wish there was some more curation. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I love that young people just react to what they feel and like. 
unfortunately, there's not a lot of curation where I think they could hear more and they'll sometimes, you know, just listen to the lowest hanging fruit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, that's always been the way it is. I think it's the way, the same way that 13 year old girls control are the audience for top 40 pop music because that's their life. That's why Six Seconds of Summer or One Direction, if you think about it, and I've always told people this, there was that period in grunge where Kurt Cobain was a pop artist, but that was very rare. That's right. It was because all the young girls wanted, you know, were hot for him too. Like it didn't matter. Like, so at the end of the day, it's the same thing as listening to Harry Styles for a young 13-year-old girl. And I think that's fine. It's great. I mean, you know, and I I don't resent anybody for finding that gateway into music that they love, whatever that stepping off point is, you know? You say how prisoners watch this, right? You know, God, yeah, incarcerated. I got letters yeah. from the incarcerated all the time. That's who watched me. One of my favorite things that I ever got to do. There's uh, one charity called Road Recovery where they, um, you know, they literally like every fucking musician in the world has come there and hung with these kids that have adversities, like whether they're cutters, drug and alcohol problems, or they've been, they've been sexually or physically abused, mm-hmm. like a lot of things that these young people have been through. And um, I was very proud to like be a part of that, you know, because it was started by Jeff Buckley's road manager who was there oh. when he died that day, you know, and, you know, and that really, you know, sent him over the edge, you know, yeah. like, like losing his friend, a friend he loved so much. Yeah. So he started this thing called Road Recovery, which was a charity that I've always been involved with. Right. So Wayne Kramer of the MC5, right, you know, um, who's Tom Morello's idol, as you all know, Um we would do a thing where we do a concert every two years and we were raising money through the industry and yes, uh, you know, people's uh, generosity. So yeah. Wayne Kramer, the clash wrote this song about him called jail guitar doors. Called, That's goes, about Wayne clang, Kramer? clang goes to jail guitar doors, <laughs> you know, like, and Wayne has always said to me, um, yeah, you know, as a Coke dealer, I was a better gardener, you know, like, I mean, his whole thing was, you know, back in the day, you know, but he's been a, a, an unbelievable pillar of recovery and uh, what an amazing man he, he is and a beautiful, beautiful man and a true friend to me from for a very long time. Basically, the idea of this concert and what you did with it was you could do whatever you wanted. We would throw to celebrate you and we did one with Slash mm-hmm. and then we did one with uh, we did one with Wayne and Wayne wanted to go back to a prison and and hold an, uh, a, a meeting um, and talk about recovery mm-hmm. um, with prisoners. They were nonviolent drug offenders, right? And, w- and when you talked about prisoners watching you, that's what I yeah. realized when I got to Sing Sing Prison. And there's one picture of all of us that were there to like, do this concert for the prisoners. Really? Very Johnny Cash style. Yeah, totally. Or like Johnny Paycheck or those dudes were like Merle Haggard where they're like in like the, you know, the the kitchen area and you're like sitting there and you're playing and it was, um, I went up as the host of it, (laughs) which is funny. Um, And it was Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains. It was Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave. It was Perry Farrell 
you know, from Jane's Addiction. It was all these guys. We go and we do the concert, and it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful moment. And when you talked about, you know, prisoners writing to you, I did not know that as I was doing that morning show in New York City, those guys were listening every morning. Oh yeah. And I said some pretty crazy ass shit on the radio, you know, like, um, but they were fans, and they were very much so like. I think that people really respond to a love of music and your passion and which reminds me of, you know, when I didn't really know what was going to happen at MTV, but I was so grateful. But all of a sudden it was like I get stopped in the hallway by the guys from Yo! MTV Raps and they would just go, dude, the black and Spanish community is really feeling you, man, because... They love your knowledge, man. It's, you know, it's it's real. You know, and there was a time in my life where I thought that I was way too passionate and way too caring. Did you really? You thought you were too passionate? No, I mean, no, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change for the world. But I thought I'd never get a chance um, to, like, you know, to literally have a voice. At one point... You go to work for Columbia in AR, yeah. which is essentially a talent scout uh, that your your career is hinged on the people that you give a thumbs up to, right? Yeah. Everything rides on that. And and you've got a great story there that you tell in the book, which is uh, all these things that I've done, which is actually a song. I'm going to let you tell the story. Go. Well, you know, I wanted to sign the killer so bad. You know, I was. Um, but my friendship with them is still so intact, like a brotherhood, you know, mm-hmm. And, you know, I love to say that, you know, there were people that worked with me at Columbia that said, fuck those guys. They didn't sign with you. They signed with us. They signed with Def Jam. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not how I roll. I'm like, I wear two hats. I'm on the radio on K-Rock doing a new music show every Sunday night. And I am, I have a responsibility and plus my love for music. You know, I got to look past the business of it. Of course, I was disappointed. I didn't get to sign the boys, but... I stayed friends with them, you know, and um, the story's pretty amazing because I was up, I signed a band from England called Longview that I fucking love that record. It was like a number three album in England and a number three single called Further. It was kind of shoegaze, but it was very somber and sad. It was like a very sad, sad song, this Manchester band, but I fucking loved it because it reminded me of being away from someone you love. Um, which I've had to deal, I've had to um, deal with that, <laughs> you know what I mean. But as we all have, but I loved that band, and I went up to Manchester. I flew into Manchester, England, to sign them. And there was this great young guy that I had met named Alex Gilbert, um, who you know signed the 1975 and mm-hmm. worked with Damien Rice, and you know he signed Longview in England. So we were friends, and um, he and I uh, are on a train, and. I'm signing Longview, but I'm also going to sign Coheed and Cambria. They're playing at Brixton Academy in London. And I realized the rest of the fucking shows in, in the U.S. are going to be fucking feeding frenzies with every A&R guy in the world. I'm going to go somewhere where fucking nobody else is and fucking talk to them about doing, a, doing the record deal. Smart. I was like, I flew there. On the train ride down, and I'm sitting there. This fucking great guy we had in A&R administration and Pete Visvaris. Love this fucking guy. Uh, and then um, Greek dude, man. I, you know, 
Anyway, he was just fucking smart. And in the weirdest way, he just showed up in fucking Manchester. And I was like, dude, you're here? <laughs> like, it was this. I still think back about it and go, I love him. But how did he fucking end up there? <laughs> like in my hotel. It was fucking genius. Um, but anyway, we're on the train coming back down. And Alex Gilbert has his iPod. And he goes, hey, man, I um, I was at South by Southwest like four months ago. And somebody handed me this fucking demo CD, a band called The Killers. Have you heard them? And I go, no, let me hear it, man. And I put my headphones on. I hear, smile like you mean it. And I went, fuck, I want to sign these guys like yesterday. Like, I just fucking loved it. And there were only four songs that I had at that moment. Um, Mr. Brightside, which is now, by the way, the longest running single in the history of the British singles chart. I think that's so cool. That's amazing. The, the Mr. Brightside, for some unbelievable reason, resonates These Vegas with guys. every fucking generation. Like, everybody has felt that fucking song. Like, my daughter, Maya, goes to me. I love this fucking song. That is one of my favorite songs. Well, she didn't say fucking song, but... And she's 20. 20. So, and I hear from people that go to these shows with new artists. And, you know, and of course, I know a lot of the new young artists, right? But they said that every time Mr. Brightside comes on on the PA, the fucking people go mad. Um, and it's such a great song. And, you know, I'm one of the only people who have ever pointed out that there's a part in it that is from the David Bowie song, Queen Bitch. I remember when they needed to do Joy Division Shadow Play for the movie about Joy Division Ian Curtis Control. Mm -hmm. And they called me and said, Matt, man, can you reach out to David Bowie? We have to get the rights to fucking use a poster of him in this video. And I called Isolar and I got it done in fucking five seconds for them, which was so fucking cool. I was very happy that I was able to do that. But I, I love those guys. I'm still great friends with them. I sent him a picture of me in a killer shirt on New Year's Day. And Ronnie and Brandon will call and check and he goes, fuck. He goes, you skinny bastard. You fucking unbelievable. <laughs> but it was more like, you know, like they always, um, you know, they've, uh, after I got hit by the car um, and they went on stage at the forum and said, this is for Matt Pinfield, man. They go, where are you? And I was, of course, with them earlier. And they were fucking blown away by, I think, uh, you know, my near death experience. Not that it was the first. <laughs> but, I've lost count. <laughs> yeah, I think most people have. But but the book. You know, I'm, ti I'm tired of uh, testing that, by the way. Can I just yeah, be honest with don't. you? Just slow down, Matt. Just yeah. chill out, man. Yeah, I've been one of the fucking, I, I, you know, I don't know, man. I am, um, it's not lost on me. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not like other people where I'll say I don't have any regrets because I do regret some of the things that I fucked up. And, and the things that I've lost. Of course I do. I mean, you know, you have to learn to forgive yourself. But, don't, I mean, you know, like, you also, I mean, you could fucking beat yourself to death over it. And it could become a vicious cycle to, you know, just, just like you're mad, you're, you're mad at yourself. And then you just continue to do the same behavior to try and bury the way you feel. Mm -hmm. And how much pain you're in. Mm -hmm. And... I don't want to do that, you know? Uh, so I've learned to forgive myself for a lot of things that have happened in my life, you know? Yeah. A lot of other writers and journalists, you know, have, have said to me, you know, the thing about your book, 
was that it was not this gratuitous bullshit book where it was all about, hey, I hung out with them. It was really more about how much you love those experiences. You know, I mean, because, you know, I've read other books and if it isn't real, then, uh, you know, and I'm not that interested. But I've read some incredible books. And like I said to you, my next book will be a lot more down and dirty. I just wanted to wait till my daughter Maya was old enough to understand it and not have someone in her school, you know, like, you know, tease her about. Yeah. You know, like I was, that's all that really mattered. I mean, I I always think of my my kids, my family. You always have. You know, my friends. You know, I just, um, you know, that's really for me, you know, been the driving force, you know, in my life. You know, when when you get down, you know, and, and shit's just crazy and you're really mad at yourself for some of the things that have happened and you, uh, you know, and you, it's like I have to always remember, um, you know, that I have these children that I love so much. And, man... I remember Chet Reznor walking out one day um, from backstage at this show, and he puts his arms around me, and he kisses me on both cheeks and goes, we're still here against <laughs> all odds. <laughs> that was like That's the fantastic. fucking coolest thing ever. Here's a question. You have these two beautiful daughters, and you're in a room with three women right now. Yeah. Okay? How would your career have been different in music if you're you with you know your family and your that crazy brain of yours and your passion for music, all that – but you're a woman. How would it have been different? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, I probably would have had to fight a lot harder. You know, I love women. And, and you know, I always say the most incredible thing is, you know, um, that the women in my life, I mean, I've had, you know, obviously I've been through a couple divorces and I, um, you know, but my love of women is never waned. I've always treated women with a lot of respect. You do, you do. You talk to me. You know, I love... They don't all do that, by the way. Yeah, you know, I'm just different, you know. I, I just get to... It's really weird, you know. I uh, I saw Bombshell, you know, I went and watched it. And I, of course, knew one of the people in it that they were... Someone was playing her, you know, from back in New York. And uh, she's be- beautiful person, beautiful woman, who I love. You know, I love my kids, man. And I... um. I come from a family of women who are very, very strong, strong-minded. Like my sister, man, she's like a fuck. She's a, she's a rocket. She's a pistol too. My sister, you know. Um, I love my sister Colleen. You know, she's got mad at me a lot over the years, <laughs> but ultimately, she's uh, you know, told me she loves me and that it, you know, majorly came through with support. And you know, when my father died, it was um. I just never forget the day because I was glad that I was in a good place, you know, and I, but I was also like, my sister calls me and goes, Hey Matt, you got to get on a plane and you got to come down here. And he goes, dad's not going to be here much longer. And, um, you know, we, uh, I call him from the cab and, um, I go and get Jessica, my, my oldest daughter. To fly down with me, I book us immediate flights and get to um, uh, Tampa. You know, and uh, he died in Clearwater, is where he where he is, where he was. Um, that's where he's buried, actually. Too. We always joke if he had uh, actually been buried in Jersey, there would have been five thousand people there to see him, his funeral. 
But uh, it was me and my family and a couple other friends and this kid, Chris Dallenbach, that I grew up with. He drove up from another part of town, which meant the world to me. Um, because, you know, I, I love my father very much. But anyway, I'm going to say, like, the last thing I got to say to my father on the phone, and he could, you know, barely speak. He, um, he, I just said, Dad, I want you to know how much I love you, man. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'm going to be there for Mom. I'll be there for her. And he goes, okay, buddy. And he could barely speak. But it's the last thing that came out of his mouth. And, uh, and then me and Jessica got on a plane at JFK. So I remember, you know, flying down on that plane and getting there. And, you know, hospice was in my, my mom and dad's place. And he was in a coma. He wasn't conscious, but he grabbed my hand. Like he knew I was there. Like he felt and held my hand. And then the next morning, he, he, I watched him take his last breath. Like I watched my father die. And it was beautiful that I could be there at that moment, you know. Because I love the man. I know how much he sacrificed, how much he gave for me, even when they didn't necessarily understand me. You know, my dad would be a guy who, you know, he was such a genius that he, you know, would build an AM transmitter in the basement, you know, like at nine, you know, just trying to like give me things to do to, ch to chase my passions, man. You know, he built my first stereo from hand. Like he literally shellacked the fucking thing. You know what I mean? Like, it was like the wood. I mean, you know, he was an incredible man that I loved very much. I think I got to tell him enough. Um, but there are times when I say to myself, um, fuck, you know, I wish I could. Uh, I know he knows. I know he knows, you know. But I when he, when he died and, you know, I was sitting there with my sister, my oldest daughter, and my mother, um, you know, there was this thing inside yourself that I said to myself, thank God I was not fucking in, like, somewhere out of my mind, like, going wild. So I was there for my father. I was so fucking grateful. And then I, I helped take care of my mom. I helped take care of the funeral, me and my sister, like, we did everything. And, you know, and I... I manned up, man, and I just, like, fucking did everything that you would do for somebody that you love because I, it was hard enough for my mom. And my brother, who is right now suffering from Parkinson's disease, um, he couldn't handle... Um, I mean, he's a very strong man, but, you know, like, he... My dad's death was so tough for him. My brother was so fucking cool. I remember uh, Beatles Rubber Soul and fucking... The Beach Boys and, you know, Music Machine, Talk Talk, and all this great music when we were younger. And, you know, he bought me those records that, like, you didn't understand at the time. But, you know, giving me Grateful Dead American Beauty was, I, I love that record. This is Glenn you're talking Yeah, about. Glenn, man. Glenn, and then he bought me the John Lennon Plastic Ono Band album with Working Class Hero and Isolation on it. I listened to Isolation last night. I, I needed to hear it. Like, I put the vinyl on, you know, that my brother bought me. Um, and he bought me the first Led Zeppelin album. And, you know, like, there's the thing where 
We thought it was so cool that it said suck. We were like, oh, fuck. So dirty. Yeah, we're like nine. We go, oh, suck. You know, communication breakdown. We were like, oh, yeah. You know, you're a bunch of all the kids in the neighborhood. Let's listen to it again. You know what I mean? We were so funny. Thank God Glenn Pinfield was not into smooth jazz. Oh, my brother was so fucking cool, man. He loved all the garage rock. And then it was cool because then, you know, I would turn him on to things. You know, like I would turn him on to things too. Um, but it was like a share thing. For me, the gift of song is truly everything in life. Like, you know, I mean, there's truly a song for everything, but there's a feeling that you get from discovering a song or loving a song that can be so simple, but just strikes an incredible nerve in your heart. There's something about it. But I'll tell you, one of the things I've always done has been true to my love of music, and I love my daughters, and I've been a fucking... You know, I, you know, one thing, even in my worst days, man, I, I took care of my kids, you know, um, and it's been hard, you know, in life. But, you know, and I love my friends, man. And, and I um, I'm I'm truly one of the most blessed human beings to have a beautiful group of friends, um, you know, that really fucking care about, you know, whether I, you know, I live or die and have a good quality of life, you know, and um. I, it's not lost on me, you know, that it's been a fucking really crazy hard road, man. You know, and, um, you know, I always tell people it's really interesting, you know, like, it's not cool to die young, you know. I um look at all the people that have died young, and, you know, when I was fucking young, I th named every animal I had after a fucking dead rock star, you know. Um, <laughs> I, uh... And then I look back on it as an you know older man, an older man, an adult, and go, no, it's not fucking cool to die young, man. It's fucking important to stay alive as long as you can. You know, especially because you got fucking people that fucking love and care about you. And you know what? You still have some message. And I believe that I'm very, very blessed because I, I believe that I'm still alive because I have a message to carry and music to turn people on to. But just to bring some fucking brightness and joy, some light to the world. Because, man, I've seen the fucking darkest depths, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I truly, truly love my friends. And I love being alive, you know? Like, in insane times that we've gone through. Like, you know, I, I feel very, very gifted by all the incredible experiences I've had you know, interacting with other human beings, people that, you know, just have so much soul and love music like I do. And I will never, you know, ever, ever lose that part of me that was the same thing I had when I was a child. And, um, you know, and I'm loving that I'm keeping on working, you know. I'm, uh, and, I, and, you know, it's, it's amazing, thanks to Judd Apatow and, you know, saying that, you know, we, we put that post out there that he loved the book. Um, all of a sudden, four days later, I found out they're re-releasing it. I'm like... You know, I don't know if they're completely connected, but it just does seem like it could be. But um, but I love when he came up to me and said to me that he fucking loved the book. And I, go, I did too, Matt. It's you a know? great book. Everybody should buy this. Yeah. If you know, if you're in mildly interested in in music, mildly interested in nostalgia, mildly interested in how to be a host, an excellent host, 
this is the great book. And it's really yeah. just a story of heart and soul. I think yeah. that I'm, I'm going to wrap it up right there. You yeah. can't see anything better. Thank All you. Right. Uh, Chris, I love you. And I'm so glad I'm in a room with three women that uh, have been very important to me in my life. You know, I've always yeah. been surrounded by beautiful, fucking amazing women, man. You know, and um, and I, um, I, I so respect that and care about that, you know. Thank and, you. Um, but I have one more thing for you, okay? All right, We're going to play a little game. We're going to play Name okay, That Tune. Okay, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you. All right. Okay. This is name that tune. Okay. But I'm only going to give you like a note because you're Matt Pinder. All right. Okay. Yeah. Let's one or two notes do. are pretty interesting. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. It smells like Teen Spirit. Oh, you can hear that that riff. I'm very proud of that fucking right. plaque I have. It's four million sold. I know. I'm so you know, jealous of you. That's my favorite. They're all, of all you, time. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? Most of my really good plaques are sitting in bubble wrap in a fucking container in New Jersey. Like, oh, I mean, I don't even have my gold records here. When we're all dead, yeah. the records will still be sitting there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody you will know, discover them like the fucking, you know what I mean? Right, 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 yeah. right. Like Somebody's I'd... fucking grandson will go. All right, <laughs> you know? next yeah. one. Yeah. Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> all right, there you go. First note. Okay. Yeah, I'm having fun. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> but, it's easy, yeah. right, right? No, but it's awesome, you know? Go ahead. Well, you know, that was the first song I played by, by them on the radio um, in New Jersey. You know, like, I fucking added that record, like, when nobody else... Because it was so wild. Like, I'd heard about this band called Nirvana from the Wonder Stuff, who were like, they're, you know, this English band, who are my friends. I'm on, you know, I'm on one of their records, and I love them. And they go, there's this great fucking American band called Nirvana. I'm like cool i'll check them out they go we saw them they just played london and i'm like i went and fucking bought bleach and then that single came out mm -hmm. and i added it to a commercial radio station you know i would do shit that i love as that. you know you know i had I mean? to go like, and look I it up chances you know knowing that band and i bought bleach too in 89 i yeah. love that album yeah. but i didn't think sliver was ever released and so when i read your so book I, I went back and looked again and again yeah. and and did some research and then realized holy shit yeah it was a seven inch single Field did release that before yeah anything was out yeah it, it, it was well, before bleach well you know the thing was the single was a sub pop thing and they heard that our station was really cool so i called them and said send me that you know whatever you have from nirvana like send me that new thing and i go we got a new single coming out and i'm like okay cool so I played Sliver, and I always just it's loved amazing. it. It was just amazing. Fucking, what a fucking great time to be a part of culture, pop yeah. culture, yeah. in the 90s, when alternative was exploding and fucking gangster rap. What a great fucking time. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. it was cool. Ready for another one? Yeah. Okay. Do you know it yet? No. It sounds like Queen's fucking Brighton Rock for a minute, but it's not. I know that. Looking back at me. Oh, it's a record. That's a record I made. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, do you not know this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably that's Cold <laughs> by Crossfade. Who yes. I gave them their name, as you know. They're the yep. worst band name in the world. Sugar Daddy Superstar. And, and uh, <laughs> I go, guys, you know, I still want a band. I gave them a list of names and they picked Crossfade. But I, um, I still want a band. To use the name Night Divides because it's a line. It's from the doors break on through to the other side. And I'm like somebody. Nice. It sounds pretty 90s and 2000s, but it's still pretty cool. Night right. Divides. But that was one of the choices I gave them. That I remember. I remember only the name they took and that. <laughs> but it was like six fucking names. You get like one note for this one. Okay. Right. One. Yeah, wonder stuff. Size God of a damn cow. Damn it! My phone is 
not yeah. working. That was that record, I love the stuffies too. I'm oh, the stuffies were the I love that best. Um, you know, I still stay in touch with Miles. Um, he and I, you know, became friends. I'll never forget. Like, you know, just I met him at the Ritz in New York City, and I sent him a cassette of Dinosaur Jr. Because he wanted, like, he loved American bands. Um, and we stayed in touch. I love that first album, The Alien Groove Machine. It's one of the best. You know, it's in, you know, in history, it deserves fucking much more credit than it's gotten. Agreed. You know, um, those first three Wonder Stuff albums were brilliant fucking records, you know, and they were so influential over there. Like, I always tell people, um, I was standing on the side of the stage with Nirvana at, Live at Reading 92 because the Wonder Stuff were the other headlining band on the other night and Public Enemy. That's how big the Wonder Stuff were in England. Wow. They were the fucking biggest thing in the world there, mm-hmm. you know? And um, they were fucking great. And, you know, I'm on that album. I did that yep. Hunter S. Thompson thing, you know, that yeah, Sleep yeah. Alone, which is really fucking cool. Are you ready for another one? Yeah. Okay. Get out the jams, motherfucker! I was gonna cue that Get up. Get out the jams, motherfucker. Pass that. Okay, sorry, I, my bad. No, but you know what's funny? Go past that and make you go with the music. You know, it's sorry. Uh, yeah, we talk about Wayne Kramer, MC Five. You know, we're uh, he's such a brother. You know, he um he jumped the fence once to save my life. Um, you know, he's that kind of friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's obviously one of the most influential guitar players of all time. Um. But he's a beautiful man, and he's like uh, devoted his life to helping other people that struggle with addiction. And uh, he's a cool motherfucker. Excellent. You know what I mean? Yes. He, kick out the jams, he, he motherfuckers. Out the jams. <laughs> you know? All right, this is the last one for you. All right, All right. In, kind of an indie artist doing a yeah. um, cover. This is going to be a lot harder for right. Oh, my God. How'd you find that? What is it? It's me. Fucking singing, <laughs> fucking opium vala. Everyone's a winner, which I fucking love. But it's really funny when you hear me sing. Now we gotta listen. Hold on. You guys gotta hear this because you have to hear this. You're not gonna this believe it's Matt. my voice. It's me singing. Did I get you? Oh my god! It fucking that's the coolest thing ever. You gotta hear this. Never could believe the things you do to me. <laughs> Never could believe the way you are. That's me singing in the eighties. That's where I was going to video on. That's the truth. Dude, we did this. This is so funny. It's so great. You can, okay. All right. So Opium Vala was like a fake band name because it was a fake drug that we put together in a bag when we were like teenagers with like tea leaves, Tristan, Fucking! Like, you talk about <laughs> you talk about this. But the so the name was Opium Vala, and we're like, "What? You haven't tried Opium Vala?" That's a big joke. We had fucking going when we were kids. I love it. All right. So we were such crazy motherfuckers. But um, yeah, I, you know it's funny when that song was new. I I hadn't really known it that well because it was, but but it was only like three years later that I covered it. I found that on a seven inch single, like that somebody like was selling a bunch of singles from jukeboxes. And I realized I'm like, I fucking love this song. This song's fucking cool. So I did a cover of Everyone's a Winner. The most recent guy who covered it was that guy Ty Siegel. You know, he's out, he's had a version, a single of it. But um Opium Follow was a 
cover band. We did like five originals. But it was just a fucking fun thing that I did with all these guys who were in other bands. Like, I produced a bunch of local bands. Like, Null Set, which is those singles by Null Set. Like, Ask You Later is fucking in Unisphere. Fucking sell for a lot of money on, like, eBay and Discogs now. These records I did. Same with that. It's like in a four-track or maybe eight-track studio. Um, if you, It's funny when you listen to it because, you know, like, the quality is shit but it's so fucking funny (laughs) thankfully matt is happy and healthy these days and taking notes for a second book all these things that i've done my insane improbable rock life by matt pinfield along with mitch cohen is available in hardback and paperback from scribner And that'll do it for this episode of Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll. Be sure to join me next time when my guest will be Dr. Jenny Boyd, former model and sister-in-law of George Harrison and Eric Clapton, who later married Mick Fleetwood twice before earning a PhD and becoming an addiction specialist. I cannot wait to ask her about the rock star experience through her psychology-trained eye. That should be fascinating. I'm Chris Kosach. Thanks for listening. Here come the liner notes. Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll was created, written, and hosted by yours truly, Charlene Goto, producer. Additional thanks for this track go to Glenn Pinfield, Austin Redding, Christy Furman, and Jason Frankovitz. Original music by Mike Bowman. For all of us here at Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll, I'm Chris Kosach. See you later.